Ballistic Sports Foundation Physiotherapy and Georgetown Honda present Out of the Park with Barry Davis. This week, Jesse Lish takes us through the beginning of his career and how not many people would have guessed he'd have ever ended up in the majors. I was always, I was, you know, my freshman year, I was a short, fat kid, like really fat kid, I like a little Oompa Loompa. And now, here's another guy that's kind of built like an Oompa Loompa. It's Barry Davis. You know, I literally, and, and this is, I'm ashamed to say this, Thomas, I had to Google Oompa Loompa to find out what an Oompa Loompa was. Oh, dear. You've never seen either of the Charlie and the Chocolate Factories? You well, never yeah, read the book? I, I, I okay. I, I saw the movie. I saw the remake. Yeah. Right? And But I totally forgot. I just, you know, I, I don't know what I was thinking. But Jesse <laughs> did look like an Oompa Loompa. I got to admit. It's true. Well, that, that one picture we had, the one picture that we're going to show of him with it's him and John Roush. Yes. He looks like an Oompa Loompa in that. Like, he, he doesn't even. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll save that. For later in the program because we will be joined in fact by jesse lich and what a, what a great conversation this was tom he was a lot of fun he was very insightful he even has uh, some great advice for some young baseball players including your son we yeah. had uh, a few of our out of the park insiders that were on joining in on that conversation as well so that is going to be a lot of fun raj sapaya is going to join us and it seems that every week we talk to raj sapaya the day after we record with Raj Sapaya, something else happens to the Blue Jays. So we always seem to be a week behind. However, the injury that he's going to talk about is something that a couple of Blue Jays are still suffering from right now. So stay tuned for Raj Sapaya. And up next, Thomas, the Blue Jays are still getting a lot of grief from some fans on social media. But when you consider who's been out and where the Jays are in the standings right now, I think you've got to be pretty darn impressed. There's Tom. I'm Barry. And you're listening and watching to Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by our good pals at Ballistic Sports, BallisticSports.com. Tom, uh, at some point, and we hope at some point soon, uh, there are going to be a couple of really cool games that you can play along with while watching your favorite sporting event. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something I'm sure a lot of Canadians are noticing right now during COVID time. I mean, everyone from our government to big business to, to even small startups like Ballistic, it's hard to get things done in COVID Canada. So bear with us. I'm hoping these games are coming out soon because once they do, I just want to play them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. I also want to take this time to uh, give a little plug in for my other job over at Georgetown Honda. And I know right now, Tom, this is a, a tough time for a lot of families because some people don't know when they're going to be back to work. Some people don't know if they're going to be able to afford to keep two cars. Maybe you want you have two cars, you want to go down to one. Uh, there is a possibility that you could trade in two of your cars and get one for less than what you were paying for those two cars. So it's something to think about. Even if you need to trade in a car, we'll buy a car because we sell used cars at Georgetown Honda. So if you're in a situation where you've got two cars and you're thinking, I can't afford two cars anymore, you know, let me know. Give us a shout and uh, we'll, we'll help you uh, get rid of <laughs> one of your cars. But uh, having a blast. We've got coming up, by the way, Tom, at the end of this month, and it might be by the end of next week, 
the brand new 2022 fully redesigned Honda Civic, which I know you're not going to drive, but there are a lot of people out there, a lot of excitement. I would. I mean, it's it's been the number one car in Canada for how many years, right? It's really? they're well built, great value cars. See that great commercial right there. All right, let's talk some baseball right now. And the Blue Jays have had more starting pitchers this season than they did all of 2016. The last time they went to the postseason, well, the real postseason, they were there last year. That doesn't count. And this is patchwork that's happening with this, not just the rotation, but the bullpen. And they've just actually called up in time for Friday night's game when they were uh, taking on the Phillies. Their number 30 prospect, guy named Nick Aguiar, Algayer, I think it might be. Nick Algayer, uh, a great pitcher. But again, this is stuff that we wouldn't see this if the Jays were not in such a desperate situation right now. And it's a great way to see some of these young pitchers, but I, I've always got a little bit of that concern, Tom, just to know the fact that you don't want to mess with a kid's confidence. You don't want to have them up before they're ready to be up. And I really hope that some of the kids that are getting called up are being put in positions to succeed rather than fail. That's a really good point. And, you know, the the one glimmer, I think, of hope that a lot of Jays fans have started noticing is the young man Manoa down in AAA, who is just rolling right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are it's really easy to get frustrated with the, the you know, the the never ending pile of bodies that seem to keep falling off the cart. <laughs> yeah. But look at where we are. And I defy you. I defy you to be disappointed with the season up to this point. If, you know, Nate Pearson hadn't thrown a pitch, you know, all the people, all the games that we've lost to injury. And we talked about this a few months back on the program about, you know, sort of the new reality of the MLB and how it might, you know, not necessarily mean the end of the world because the Blue Jays didn't have this stacked starting rotation. Maybe they were going into the season ready to do the patchwork. And, I mean, if that's the case... We're doing okay. What we're sitting Saturday, what one game above five hundred? Yeah, and just I think two and a half games out of first place in the, in the East, right? And that's the thing. Nobody, even even the Red Sox, who got off to a just an unbelievable start, have come back to the pack a little bit, right? So it's it's I don't even think about postseason until you get to July, right? And as we recall back in twenty fifteen, at the trade deadline, the Blue Jays were in fact eight and a half games out of first place. And we know how that finished out. So it's too early to, to worry about any of that kind of stuff. I want to say that Stephen Matz had a couple of great starts, had a couple of poor starts, and people just jumped so quickly to start ripping this guy, saying he's terrible. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. And speaking of giving a chance, uh, there's going to be some very insightful words from Jesse Lynch, and I don't want to spoil it, but it does involve one of the Toronto Blue Jay young players. Yep. Yeah, he had he had a really good take on the Blue Jays handling one player in particular. And, you know, as, as everybody's going to see, um, the Blue Jays did the exact opposite of what he thought was the way to go forward. So now, again, it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic situation, and things have changed that may explain why the Blue Jays did that kind of puzzling move, but we'll get into that in the interview. There is also had a real interesting debate with uh, a few guys at work who are, who are big Blue Jays fans. And 
the talk was, do the Blue Jays need to go out and upgrade at third base? And first of all, yes, they could use a, a legit third baseman, you know, an all-star third baseman. They haven't had one since Donaldson, right? right. Mm-hmm. The thought came to mind, would you move Vladdy over to third? Because he's more athletic now, and he seems to be really getting a, a good grasp of playing defense and, and all that. My opinion is he is playing so well at first base right now. And to quote former Raptor Charles Oakley, if it ain't broke, don't break it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had a couple of, you know, scary incidents. It seemed for a while his his glove kept straying into the base path. And that can be, you know, that can be a, a very dangerous thing. But that hasn't happened in a little while. And and I'm inclined to agree with you. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, you know, keep laddie. I wouldn't. If we need help anywhere, let's go ahead and get some more pitching depth, right? Well, yeah, but you have pitching depth that is going to return, right? My thinking is there is a all-star third baseman that is having a great start to the season, and he's playing for a team that is probably in the midst of deciding to do a full rebuild, and I'm talking about the Chicago Cubs. Wouldn't Chris Bryant look absolutely lovely in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. And here's the thing, Tom. The Jays have depth in prospects. They have players that I'm sure the Chicago Cubs would love. Now, of course, you're going to have certain guys on the do-not-touch list. Having said that, there have been do-not-touch prospects that have been traded and never amounted to anything. You know what you got in Chris Bryant. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can... You can you can name off the top of your head. They're just pitchers and, you know, uh, Justin Nicolina. Yeah. Right? Um, Henderson Alvarez. There, there were a lot of, yeah. Uh, hey, I, Henderson Alvarez. Henderson Alvarez threw a no-hitter with the Miami Marlins. He did. He did throw a no-hitter, but unfortunately never quite. And I loved him as a – I loved that sinker ball. Um, yeah. I loved him as a pitcher, but he never quite panned out, right? But you're right. I'm all for a trade, a prospect, if you can get a sure thing back. Um, I just, I wouldn't, I, again, I'd, I'd have, I'd rather trade some prospects and get back a sure thing pitcher right now. Uh, our offense, it makes me happy almost every night. Like even the games that we're losing, we're in. And even the games where we lose, we always feel like we're in, at least as a fan base. You know, <laughs> how many times have we been texting back and forth during a game and you're like, Oh, home run. I'm like, don't worry. They're coming back. And, and they keep doing it. So it would be great. I'd love to have Brian at third base, but I'd love to to get, you know, an amazing starter, a David Price-esque from circa, you know, 2015. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, Tom, injuries have been such a huge devastation for this team all season long. And uh, recently, Nate Pearson was scratched from his first minor league start, so he's still having problems. And uh, who was the latest one to go down? Oh, yes, Ryan Barucki is now on the injured list as well. So, again, the injuries continue to mount for this team. And up next, speaking of injuries, we're going to get the latest on a couple of Toronto Blue Jays. There's Tom. I'm Barry. You are listening and watching Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. Our pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy joins us. Three locations in the GTA. And uh, are you finding, Raj, that as 
more and more people are getting vaccinated, more and more people are feeling a little more comfortable to come and actually see you in person. Yeah, and and, and to be honest, like business has been it has been has been good uh, since we've reopened because we are an essential service, and, and you know people do still need to see physiotherapists and chiropractors and massage therapy because it is some you know it is an essential service. So, uh, but as more people are getting vaccinated, we feel more comfortable coming in, and we're extremely safe on our end as well. Raj, before we get into a couple of Blue Jays that have a similar injury. I want to ask you real quickly about a play that I saw in Thursday's game when Acuna of the uh, Atlanta Braves, Acuna was running to first base, and as he got to first base, he either rolled his ankle on the bag or, or did something, but he just was in a whole heap of pain. And it makes me wonder, baseball players have been running to first base their whole career. Why do so many have such a problem getting to first base without hurting themselves? <laughs> I, I really think it's got about to do with the speed they're probably running to first at, right? Uh, they've got to get to that. They've got to get to that base quickly. So it's likely just that power and the sprinting that they're that they're putting in. Maybe they're not training well enough, or maybe that certain athlete hasn't trained that that level of speed. Uh, but that's probably where you're going to see some of those like instability injuries with the ankles, especially when they're trying to get to first base really quick uh, on those line drives or something like that. It's something that you see time and time again. And actually, I was watching the game when Acuna uh, rolled his ankle, and it was it was the first step after the bag. So it wasn't it didn't even have anything to do with the bag. Yeah. Um, and it, that's something I know from my own kid. They practice it starting at six years old. Is that run to first, and then you know the the cutoff. And you know what is it about that particular sprint that just seems so deadly? Like there's there's a body count every year in the MLB of people that have rolled their ankles. Why is it, it like that one particular run? It's never the run to second, never the run to third. Is it just because of how it ends and that it's not a slide or? Uh, probably, probably that's probably a good, that's probably a great reason that's not a slide. So there's going to be a lot more foot contact. Um, it's also like, like, like I said, the speed, the, the acceleration that has to be, that's required. And then that quick stop, that quick sudden stop. It's like almost like a, like a long jump, right? You're, you're running and then landing. And then when that land can create that instability, right? Uh, we almost only ever see that happening on first base, right? It's that that real like awkward landing on, on the on the base, depending on where the first baseman's at. Um, that predisposed by the speed they're going at is likely going to be just that you know perfect storm for an injury. You know, it makes you wonder about the fact that home plate is pretty much flush into the ground, right? Why aren't the other bases? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if that's a good question. You wouldn't, ask. It, wouldn't you not think it would save a lot of issues, right? And I understand that somebody needs to, you know, when they're stealing second, they need to have their foot on the bag and all that. I mean, you need to have your foot on the plate to, to go home yeah. too, right? Yeah. Great question. Great question. <sighs> yes, it was a damn good question. Okay, Raj, uh, another good question is a, a number of Toronto Blue Jays injuries once again. We've got two Toronto Blue Jays right now that are out with calf injuries. Okay, first of all, other than it being a baby cow, can you just describe what is involved in the calf muscle? Okay, so the calf muscle, think of um, the back of your leg, the one below the knee, right? So the one above the knee is the hamstring, the one that goes from the knee to the hip, and the one that goes from your knee to your foot or to your Achilles is your calf muscle. So it comes down kind of like this and attaches into your heel. Uh, it's a large, large muscle that's involved for the lifting of our foot off of the ground. We use it kind of almost 
every day, walking, going up and down stairs, going onto our toes. Uh, runners and sprinters will use it a lot. Pitchers will use it to, you know, lift their foot off the ground to get that rotation. So it's it's a very powerful muscle that has to be used in most sports. And I'm going to go ahead and ask the question because you know, we touched on this last week. The Jays have had a bit of a track record in under-reporting the severity of the injuries on their team. Are calf injuries one of those things that can come up and bite a player throughout the course of the season if it's not taken care of correctly? Oh, yeah. We, we see the calf thing. Uh, we see it big at basketball, right? Like those guys that get like the calf injury and then, or a calf tear and then they get back in too soon and it's still not better and it can result in something else in the knee or in the ankle. Um, so for sure, if, if not resolved properly, if the calf strain is not resolved properly, it could, you know, if they're in too soon and depending again on what kind of load they're putting in, uh, it could resolve in a, in a higher up knee injury or even worse, an Achilles tear or something at the foot. Uh, cause that, that calf muscle is responsible for the power from the knee into the, into the foot. Raj, before we get into how you can treat an injury like this, what are some of the best ways to help prevent that happening. And, and we're not asking for ba baseball, baseball players, players basketball players. players. We're asking for regular people like us who might want to, oh, weather's nice. I want to go out for a jog or want to go for a long walk or a hike up and down hills and stuff. You would think that if you don't properly take care of this muscle that you'd be primed for an injury. Oh, 100%. In fact, I get chirped around a lot at the clinic because I have small calves for a, for a big guy. Uh, and sometimes you do see that, right? Bigger. It's not about the size of your calves. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but but to be honest, just walking and running alone isn't going to strengthen your calves uh, because there's other muscles that are involved in the running and walking process, your quads and your hamstrings. And so those are going to help. But to truly strengthen your calves, think of like going on your toes. Think of doing heel raises, right? Uh, and, you know, maybe doing 50 to 100 of those as part of your workout. Uh, if you're a stronger person, hold weights by your side or on your shoulders and do those calf raises, right? Um, you really want to feel the burn in the back of, in the back of that calf muscle uh, to know you're getting it. If you start trying to think you're going to strengthen your calf by running or by, you know, doing more of a functional activity, it's not, it's not truly isolating that muscle. So other bigger muscles like your quads and hamstrings will take place. So I do recommend like isolated calf strengthening. And it, it is like, it is underutilized um, as an exercise regime. I'm, I'm a big case of that too. So <laughs> maybe that's why I got my ACL tear. Who knows? Oh, would this be something that, uh, you know, the, the, the healing and, and the exercises are going to be pretty similar between uh, a major league player and what you'd be recommending at your clinic? Oh, hundred percent. It would just be probably the load would be different. And then the timelines might be, you know, it, you know, obviously a, a major league player can do get treatment every day. As, as long as they need, right? Uh, a regular person like us might only be able to come in for physio two, three times a week and then have the responsibility to do stuff on their own. Uh, but yeah, for sure, the, the treatment will be the same. The intensity is probably going to be higher uh, on, a bas on a baseball player, for sure. So Raj, to sum things up, if you want to avoid injuries to your calf, you got to get up and move. <laughs> oh, man. See you later, Raj. <laughs> oh, God, that was so bad.
now is former Toronto Blue Jay pitcher Jesse Litch and Jesse I love that you dress for the occasion and I especially love the fact that you're wearing the blue Blue Jays gear and it's funny Tom and I were just talking about this with a few of our viewers before you came on about that horrific logo when you first joined the Toronto Blue Jays and like you ever join a team and when you get the uniform you go oh man I just don't like this uniform not me. I mean, I was in the big leagues. I didn't care what I was wearing. They could have gave me anything. I'd have worn it. Yeah, and when you first start, and I always, I always got a kick out of this because when I would, when I first started covering spring trainings and stuff, I'd look around and try to figure out who the rookies were, and you always knew the rookies because they had numbers that were like seventy and up. Do you remember what your first number was? Fifty-one. Oh, that's I didn't not have bad. A, yeah, I, well, I went. That's what I mean. I got called up from Double A, so I didn't. I never went to spring training. I, I just went in the clubhouse, and that's the number that was in my locker, and that's what I stuck with. And now it's it's always been my favorite number since then. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, right? Yeah. Before you made the majors, had you stuck to a number? I mean, I, I six. I grew up wearing six in every level. Little league, high school, college. I mean, my numbers retired at my college, my high school. Um, nothing really 
I mean, nothing really be besides that. I mean, I didn't really care in the minors. Like they don't really give you a choice per se, because I mean, it's whatever size fits, whatever. So you, you got to go with that. Now, interestingly enough, 51, five and one is six. This is something I'm sure that you, you figured out real early on. <laughs> oh yeah, very much so. You know, there's always, there's always something going through your head at that. Like I would always, I was always a guy trying to put numbers together when you see the three guys standing in the outfield and what can that make? What does the two, three guys standing there for the national anthem make? Like, I don't know. Numbers and me have always been a thing. So five, one, obviously we equals six. So I went with it and ran with it. Well, numbers and then letters, because you mentioned you got called up from double A and normally the whole you know way it works is you go from single A to double A to triple A to the majors. So did this come out of nowhere when you got the call? Did it shock you completely that they were calling you to come up? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I I knew I was doing well. And I think at the time I had like a .9 and I was 5-1 and one or something like that. And I had we, we, the, the rumblings were that something was going on with, with Roy Halladay and, you know, they're probably going to call somebody up. So I assumed what was going to happen was that I was going to go to AAA and whoever was in AAA was going to go up and – that's not quite how it went down. We were in Bowie. I literally threw eight no hit innings, and the the closer Tracy Thorpe blew the no hitter in the ninth with two outs. But that is what it is. And you know, two days later, they basically told me your 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 plane's leaving. You're getting moved up. Blah blah blah. And your flight leaves for Toronto in the morning. And I kind of lost it. I was like, hold on, what? Where? And that was kind of that was kind of the whole thing. And you know, I guess the, the guys knew about it in the clubhouse and it was, it was a great experience. Great. You know, it was, it was really cool to happen and, you know, went up for 15 days and right back down to the minors because Roy Holiday happened to come back from emergency appendectomy in two weeks, which was unknown of. It, it was not a thing that has ever happened before, but with him, I, I come to find out like that stuff happened a lot. <laughs> You know, coming up, doing the jump from double A to major league is a huge jump for anybody, but doing the jump to fill in the place left by Roy Halladay, that's an immense amount of pressure. And, and, you know, for you, when you're looking back on it now, what is it that sticks out to you about your first major league game? Uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty good. I mean, it was definitely... I, I was very nervous initially. Um, you know, I kind of went in there and I was facing two of the guys that I was bat boys for literally three years prior. So it was a different, it was a different scenario, but you know, you got to go in there and compete. And I was not a prospect at the time per se. So I knew I had to go show something and I felt like just go out there, be yourself and, and try and, you know, fill those shoes as much as possible. It's easy <laughs> as best as possible. Right. But I ended up going eight and two thirds and gave up one run. It was pretty good. I mean, it's something that I guess the other day, some other guy just did it in his debut, which was pretty cool to see my name across the, the bottom line. Again, he did it in relief, which was quite interesting, but you know, it's a, it was definitely a cool experience. It was my dad's birthday. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So, yeah. So it was, I mean, it's, it's definitely a date that I'll, I'll never forget. That's for sure. And that was like, five days from the day that we're recording now so may 15th right yes sir 
Wow. And wow, 2007. Uh, it, it blows my mind that that much time has passed <laughs> since then. Yes, it blows my mind as well. You know, and it's <laughs> it's something that, you know, I'll always I'll always remember. Obviously, obviously I wish I could still do it, but unfortunate circumstances, you know, caused me to get out of the game. And, you know, now I'm making the best of what I got now. Jess, you mentioned that, you know, first start that debut against Baltimore well a few weeks later you're pitching in the trop where you were a bat boy and you end up going six and two-thirds scoreless innings did that game mean any more to you just because you probably saw a lot of people that you were handing bats to oh yeah I mean that was that was definitely a special one that was one where you know I'm from there too like that's where I'm from so like my family friends everybody like I, they, I was getting hit up so much to where uh luckily you know they they were nice enough there to and I also worked in public relations there in 2000 2000 and the the they were able to leave me tickets for whoever I basically whoever was going to the game just had to mention that I said to leave them tickets and they gave them tickets in one spot out there and they took care of all of that for me which I thought was very class and you know, it was it was cool to come off the field and you know be able to have the cheers and all that stuff from the home from from not the home crowd like obviously my hometown crowd and and be able to you know do that in front of them for the first time. I mean, it I had a couple other decent ones there, but there was definitely some some rough ones in the middle there as well. Getting to play in front of you, in front of your hometown crowd, it's it's a you know an honor that most baseball players will never ever you know, be able to experience, but looking back on your career now, you know, you kind of hinted at the injuries and you know, what might've been, but looking back at your career in, to in total, what, is, what are the big memories, like one or two that really stick out to you as like the best parts of your major league experience? Uh, I mean, definitely my debut. I mean, that's, that's the one that you can't really get over. Um, I would say the, Oh man, the, the ups and downs. I mean, I, I missed the grind to be honest. Like it was being able to, to adjust to, you know, failure and, and, and having success. Like those are the things that you, you miss the most. So specific games are hard to, to say like this one or that one, the debut was obviously good. The day I broke Jimmy keys walk record, I guess was a cool experience. <laughs> um, you know, and, there was a couple, you know, complete game shutouts in 2008 that were that were really cool. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe facing, you know, King Griffey Jr. because he was always the guy that I idolized growing up and being able to say that I broke his bat like that. That's pretty cool. Um, there's just a lot. There's so much, you know, it's, nice. it's, it's one of those things <laughs> where you grow up around the game, loving the game. There's there's things that are always going to stick out positive you know, or, or negative, but it's always something that you're going to remember. Over your right shoulder, Jesse, is a lineup card. Is that from one of the games you spoke of? No, that's actually from when I played for junior college, Team USA. It's China. We were in China. Yeah. Wow. It's called the uh, NC, NJ National Junior College Athletic Association International Friendship Series. Oh, nice. And, and, there's a real cool painting behind you too. Who did that? Uh, a guy named Dave Medin, I believe. He did it. He did a couple of them for me. 
um he just i mean he was a guy on twitter that that kind of reached out we kind of befriended each other and he drew me a couple of panties that that obviously worked pretty cool and they look good there i've never actually sat here for one of these zoom meetings and it's actually not a bad spot i don't technically have an office here because there's so many there's so much stuff around here but like this is i might have to put some more stuff up oh yeah oh yeah totally. so much stuff it's just that 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 was there and i didn't even realize it to be honest until you said it but it's it's definitely a cool spot when we had one with uh, eric kratz a few weeks ago he did it from what he calls his dig me room so you got to work on your dig me room oh i have i have all kinds of stuff that can be a dig me room it's just there's also not enough space here to make it a dig me room because i got so much stuff it's it's there's only so many places you can go and the dogs you got to be careful of them so it's it's a uh it's it's a work in progress we'll say that <laughs> what's your favorite trophy what's the one thing that kind of gets prime space in the room um and this i mean i i mean my my debut jersey was pretty cool like i have that framed that's that's obviously the that's the cool one i mean my dad has my first strikeout ball um he's got my lineup card he's got he's got all he's got a lot of stuff so I, had to, I had to take something and that's what it is. i mean that's that's in that that's in another room over there so what was it like you know you mentioned your dad growing up in florida obviously baseball is something you can play all year round when did it start to kind of come into your mind that this was something you might be able to actually do for a living i mean Getting into becoming a bat boy tells me you had this passion. You wanted to be around the ballpark all the time. But was it just a, a like a pipe dream for you for the most part as a kid? Yeah, I mean, like any other kid, like you always dream of being a big leaguer, right? And that was kind of my experience growing up. Like I was always – I was, you know, my freshman year, I was a short, fat kid, like really fat kid, I like a little oompa loompa. And – so, you know, the chance of making it were like, whatever, right? And then, you know, my sophomore year, I grew a little bit. And then I was like, all right, I'm getting a little better. So I, I started running and getting and then kind of grew into my body and lost a bunch of weight. And my junior year became somewhat of a decent player. I mean, I still only threw probably like my junior year, I might have thrown 83, 84, maybe. And nowadays, like, that's nothing. Like, juniors now, like, I'm like, what I'm doing now, like I see juniors every day throwing, like there's a, there's a junior at IMG that throws 95 and from the left, like it's, it's crazy nowadays. And, you know, I didn't throw 90 till my senior year in high school. And that's when I kind of became, okay, maybe there's, this is, this could be a thing. And Colorado drafted me out of high school. So it was like, all right, then go to college and got better and better and better and ended up signing with the Jays. And two years later, being able to make my big league debut from a 24th rounder to two years in the big leagues. Like it's, it's not really a thing. Like there's not even 24 rounds anymore. So, you know, it's one of those stories that are, that's pretty cool, you know, bat boy to big leagues, but I, I always love the game. You know, you never think it's actually going to happen, but you always dream that way and you, you hope that. So that's kind of, it, it was always, I was going to play baseball in some capacity for as long as I could. And I still do like I still play no <laughs> league men's league here. So it's it's something that I, I just I love it. What, what else is there? Right. You know, you bring up the velocity 
and, you know, young pitchers throwing 95. And, you know, I don't know if you're following the Blue Jays this year. Yeah, yeah, I Um, follow all kinds of baseball, yes. So you've probably seen them fitting quite nicely into a big debate that's happening in baseball about pitching injuries. And, you know, while we have you here, it's a question that I wanted to ask you because, you know, we've talked to people like Pat Hankin and, and you know, some 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 pitchers, Hankin, Stottlemyre, they all have a kind of a different view on it. Some say the young kids are throwing too little. Some say that they're throwing, you know, the wrong way. But with your background in particular, I, I would imagine this is something that's pretty close to you. And, and, you know, do you have, what's your opinion on the, I guess, the rash in major league pitching injuries? Uh, I mean, there's definitely there, there, there's there's a couple sides to it. I mean, for sure, you know, I, I'm a big believer in long toss. That's not really a thing as much anymore. Like I would throw three, four, five times a week long toss, and now it's more weighted ball programs, specific weight li- weightlifting programs. Not necessarily throwing as far, but throwing harder, more throwing heavier balls to try and speed like so those are things that the the baseball world has kind of come to and and it's it's definitely gained velocity and i believe that's kind of what's going into this right now like everyone's doing all this gaining velocity and the arms technically weren't ready for it so it there's there's got to be a way and they're probably still trying to figure i know it's getting close there's definitely getting better at it but you know, being able to, you know, do the workload in a sense of, you know, is this too much? Is that too much? You know, are we doing too little? So I know like there's a place here called Kinetic Pro and they're big on the workload. And actually there's a Canadian that works with them and it's player. I should know this, but I don't. (laughs) And he, he works with them and it's basically like all, you know, the stick figure configurations of the body, how the movements are. And it's, it's something that is starting to become more, more of a thing. So the weighted ball, the, the throwing uh, more, the throwing less, but it's, it's a workload based off of how much torque you put in, how much, like how much, uh, how hard you throw the ball, how, how much effort you give. That's the word I'm looking for. And it's, it's very interesting to read about whether or not it becomes a huge thing. It's definitely going to be a thing. And, you know, it's, it's starting to become more of a talk because of the rash of injuries. And, you know, why is that happening? Is there a way to prevent it? And, you know, a lot of them are fluke injuries, but like there's probably something that can be done to at least minimize it to an extent. Jesse, one of the cool things about us now doing this show on Zoom is that we can utilize some some pictures to you know, bring back some memories and talk about what guys are doing right now. So, um, first of all, since you did mention the fact about the the kids that you're working with right now, Jesse, so this is you with a bunch of kids teaching. Uh, tell us about what you've been doing over the last little while and what that means for you to be able to to kind of get into the heads of these young ball players and. Uh, I mean, definitely, it's it's something that I always wanted to do. I mean, after playing, I went and coached pro ball. I did a couple things that were pretty cool. I went to China for a year and helped develop baseball there. And then I did the pro thing for three years. And then I was just like, I'm going to be home. I'm ready to be home. And um, opened my own 
facility academy and it was called the barnyard i mean it's it's still technically there um and i still help with kids a ton but like you know just being able to help really it's it's about learning the game the right way for me um you know it's there there's so many there's so many different ways of coaching and there's so many different coaches out there that you know may or may not do the right things i'm not going to specifically say they do wrong stuff but you know, if we're trying to develop the next wave of the future for these kids, like we should definitely put them on the right path. And, you know, I think in this picture, these guys are 13 years old. So like, that's a, that's, that's a big year because that's their first year on the big field. That's their first year having 90 foot bases, 60 foot mounds. And it's, it's kind of a thing where like you have to develop into high school. So they're two years away from high school and how can we, how can we put them in the best position to make a high school baseball team? And that's kind of the first goal. Right. And once you get to the high school age, it's like, all right, now, like, how can we get these guys to technically start on their high school? Or if they're already starting, what can we do next to help them get to college, to help them play at the next level? And, you know, cause it's not going to get any easier and it, let, let's, you know, if you get to pro ball, it gets even different. And then hold on. Then there's the big way. Like the, the levels of, you know, movements are not, are, are not easy and they only get harder. So, you know, we have to, we have to make, make them aware of it to an extent of, okay, this is how we're going to get there and try and lead them step by step the right way. And, and that's something that I've thoroughly enjoyed. I really enjoyed a ton. And, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't plan on changing that anytime soon. And, you know, it's now I'm working for, for PBR prep baseball report and I'm a scout technically for, you know, it, I'm the Florida scouting director, but like I still coach at the high school. I still, I'm still out there like being able to, to help with the kids. And, you know, I, I, I get calls constantly on, you know, from coaches, can you come talk to the kids? And, and, and that's just stuff that I feel like, I made it to the highest level. We were put on a platform to try and help the next wave. And we should, you know, everybody, should, everyone that plays and everyone that's done it should, you know, reach out and try and help kids as much as possible because the, realistically that's our future and they're going to be the ones playing the game at the next level. So let's, let's try and, you know, help them as best as possible. Tom, I know you're licking your chops ready to, to cause Tom's got a son that plays ball. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I'm, my, my brain's going into overload here. I got about 5,000 different questions to ask, but I suppose, you know, it, it, this is a landscape that's changed fundamentally. I'm, you know, I'm assuming Jesse, since when you were a developing player yourself 100%. and what are, is there one thing or two things for, for young players that haven't changed fundamentally, those keys to success that you see, that you saw as a player when you were developing and that you see now as a coach that seem to guarantee that success? The one the one thing I, I, I preach and I, I is kind of my, it's, it is my slogan, it's have fun and get better in the process. Like <laughs> if you're not having fun on a baseball field, it's probably not for you. Like it's, it's a sport that is, you're supposed to have fun. And you know, I, I think I have that logo somewhere, but like have fun and get better in the process is kind of my, is my thing. I, I'm out there with the kids joking, having a good time and, you know, trying to put them in the, the easiest atmosphere as possible for success. That's awesome. 
Tom, anything else you want to follow up on regarding uh, your son? <laughs> yeah, you know what? As a young pitcher, um, I would love to know what would be the one piece of, you know, sort of the gold ribbon advice that you'd give to to a, a promising young 11-year-old with a firecracker for an arm. Throw strikes. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is it throw strikes like they're going to get like, I'll tell you this. So even at any level, like Roy Halladay, he's the one that taught me this. And, and I still and I, I talk to people about this all the time is if you sit there and you watch batting practice and that's guys just throwing the ball right over the middle of the plate, trying to get, let the guys get loose. Right. If you watch batting practice, if they have 10 swings, they might get five hits, maybe. They will get themselves out if you throw strikes. And that's kind of, you know, that was preached to me. Obviously, you you get up higher, like you got to have better stuff. But realistically, those BP throwers are keeping these hitters, like they're still doing well. And imagine if they just located a little bit. <laughs> then it's even harder for that guy to hit. So it's it's something that's very interesting. Next time you go watch batting practice, you know, watch it. See, like, see how many hits. Look at one guy and say, okay. You got, you got, you know, Bichette's up there. Say he's got seven swings. How many hits will he actually get out of those seven swings? That's a good point. It's, it's a very interesting look. Yeah. And and, And that leads me to the next question I have regarding the throwing strikes. We recently saw Nate Pearson make his season debut for the Blue Jays. And there's so much promise for this kid. There's obviously a lot of pressure on him. He goes out and he couldn't throw strikes. He walked, I think, what, four in the first inning, Tom? I mean, it was just, it wasn't a good day for him. We all know that he has all the talent in the world. In your opinion, would that have been more of a mental thing, or do you actually see something physical that would cause him to do that? And if there was, like, why couldn't somebody tell him? So, in game adjustments are probably the hardest thing to do, especially for a young guy, a young kid that's coming up. Um, so I, I actually read an article today that stated that there was a couple mechanical issues that he might, I, I'm forgetting, like I read it earlier and it was something with his turn or something that I, everyone's seen. And then once they pointed it out, I was like, oh, interesting. That's, that's pretty spot on, right? So it's going to get fixed. He's got an electric arm. Going up to the big leagues is not easy, regardless of what you think about. Like, your nerves are out. You know, it's it's hard to pitch, but you have to do it. So, hopefully, like anybody, like, it's a glitch. You know, hopefully, it, it, you got to give him a good four or five starts to see what's going on. And if he does it for three, four starts, then it's a different process. But, you know, I wouldn't base anything off of one start. You know, he's proven that he can pitch. He's proven that he knows how to throw strikes. So it's hard to to base all of our opinions off of one start. And that's kind of, you know, the thing that I think helped me out in, in the big leagues because, you know, I was a proven strike thrower. There's days that you have not as good stuff and there's ga- days that you have great stuff where you just get hit around the field. So you have to kind of – you got to grow with it. And if, if you're going to bring a young guy up, you got to let him fail and you got to let him succeed. You know, you make a good point. And that is there's a difference between, you know, a a mechanical thing that can change things and in your head. And I don't know if you're around the Jays back then, but the Red Sox had a guy named Daniel Bard who was pitching for them. And he pitched a game at at, at the Sky Dome 
And he could not only could he not throw a strike, I think he hit four straight batters. He was throwing behind batters. And at that point, we all knew that there's something not right up in his head when it came to his pitching, right? Uh, have you ever experienced anything like that where, you know, your head just got too much of you and you just could not throw the ball? Uh, not me personally, no. Like, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's, it's hard to to you know get back in the zone while in game because you're you know if you're in single a it might be one thing but like if you're in the big leagues like you're facing you know david ortiz like i can't think about how i'm gonna just throw this ball over the middle of the plate because if i do it's probably gonna go over the fence right so you gotta just still compete and hope for the best and you know once you know, that's why that's why we have pitching coaches. That's why we have man like those guys are able to read that stuff and you know they'll they'll be able to you know go go and watch video after. Nowadays the video is even crazier. So you can break down all kinds of stuff. But mentally is it's it's hard to overcome in game, especially at the high high level, because it's you're already in the highest competition in in baseball. So it's it's not like you can say, Hey, like Oh, it's not. It's it, it's only this guy. It's not this guy. It's it's you got the boom, 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 boom all the way down. Is you got to you got to concentrate in full for for all nine batters for however many innings you're going to be out there. Do you ever come across a player that did have that you know that raw ability and raw talent that just wasn't able to put it together at the big league level despite getting the opportunities and the chances? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Uh, David Percy is probably the guy that's had the best stuff that I've ever seen. And, you know, he showed flashes of brilliance. He showed flashes of of unhittable and, you know, flashes of guy being a number one, an ace. And then he'd have an up a day where mentally he'd probably block out, right? But, you know, he, he ended up having a great career. Um, and, and he'll, he, he said it, I mean, he's, he's a guy that he got his chances. He threw well, but could he have been elite? I, I believe so. And I know others do as well. And sometimes it's just not meant to be. I mean, there's, there's a few of them out there that, you know, Brian Wolf, I don't know if you remember that name. Wolf. Oh yeah. He, yeah. I remember where he, yeah. he did all right in the big leagues and, was up and down from Chipotle to there and he ended up getting lucky and being able to go over to Japan, went over there, did great. He ended up making millions of dollars over there over the next four or five years. So it's, it's a different, it's a different game for everybody. It's, you know, it's all about how, how people are able to overcome, you know, ups and downs. You got to be overcome adversity and you got to make adjustments. All right. We're going to get to the next picture in a second. Uh, first of all, Jesse, how tall are you? Uh, six one, six two with cleats oh, six on. one. Okay, I'm five foot seven. Um, how the hell tall was John Rouch? That's John Rouch, isn't it? Yeah, I think he was like six eleven or seven. I think My he was six eleven. Tallest are... player in baseball, I think, I believe, ever. Wow. And, and you and you know what? He was a guy that you know, if he was in a pissy mood, you don't want to be near him. And I remember him going after an umpire. You remember that? Oh yeah, it just—it's it, funny because I was on—it uh, was either Facebook or somewhere looking the other day, and they had like 
some of the best like ejections and he was one of them <laughs> and i was like oh my god i remember that day he was going crazy <laughs> it's funny because somebody asked me about that the other day and they couldn't remember the pitcher's name and i'm like oh yeah i remember that i mean it was john roush he was uh but you know that's another like with that size holy cow that must have been intimidating for hitters yeah and and honestly he didn't even throw that hard like he was he was one of those guys that maybe were 90 like but it's he's three feet extra from where I would release the ball. So it's probably like 96. So it's, it's a whole, it was a whole different process. And I mean, he did it well for many years. All right. One last one. What in the world is this Jesse? And I, I mean, I'm talking from the pants to the hair to what is that? A Blackberry in your hand? Like, Oh, I I don't know what year this was. It was, I had, I had a charity golf tournament that I put on every year and, part of me what me and my partner did was we wore the crazy stuff and i mean i've that's 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 good compared to some other stuff i'm surprised you didn't find some other stuff the (laughs) hair is what it is but that those pants are good compared to others like i've got yeah that's mcgowan and percy right there and those pants are those pants are clean compared like i got bright green ones there's (laughs) all kinds of crazy other ones out there that i'm surprised you didn't find those well, it just so happens that when I, we are editing this together, we will throw some of them in. So those who are watching, these are some of the ugly pants that Jesse was talking about. Hey, you know, when you were talking, we were talking about, you know, pitchers that had so much talent and never really got to succeed to where they wanted to. Man, Dusty's a, a perfect example of that. And it was of no fault of his own. He just could not stay healthy. But man, the like one of the one of the best stuff guys that I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, that year in 2008 was fun. I mean, it was – we had, what, the best pitching staff in baseball, you know, from, from the starting staff and the relieving – like, our, our relievers. So, you know, and, and Dusty, obviously, we're, we're, we're good friends, and we've been through rehab a lot together. And he's just a guy that – he had unbelievable stuff, bad luck, good luck in some, some instances because, like, he signed a contract the next day, got hurt, like – there was, there was a lot of ups and downs for him for sure. As you know, as for me as well, but you know, he ended up finishing up pretty strong over in, in, in Miami. So that, yeah. that was cool to see. Like I was happy to see him keep fighting through it. Like a lot of guys could have easily said, you know what, I'm done, but like his passion for the game and wanting to keep playing. And now he's coaching in high school, uh, which is pretty cool. So that's, that's one of those things that, you know, you, you he's similar to me where he just, keeps wanting to be around the game right well next time you talk to him tell him how much fun you're having on this show and tell him i, I want to catch up with him there's blue jay fans that would love to to see and hear from him i'm sure he would get on i'm sure he, i honestly i i totally forgot he was coaching and i i had to cover the panhandle like three weeks ago and i would have so went to his school just to just act like i'm scouting and not really <laughs> and just go there to mess with him so but I'll definitely make it out there, and I'll, I'll reach out to him. Awesome, awesome. All right. Uh, every week we uh, invite uh, some of our viewers to join us. So we've got uh, – we have three people. Two of them are actually together and both huge Blue Jay fans and uh, both fans of Jesse Lynch. So uh, you're seeing Fiona there right now. There we go uh, with Fiona, okay? Thanks.
Well, it's the only way to pitch a complete game these days, Jesse. If you want, if you want to get nine innings, you have to throw no hitter. This this is true. It's not. It, there's no more Roy Holiday. That's for sure. Um, you know what Shohei Otani's doing is pretty cool. Like being able to do both sides of the the ball, like hit and and pitch. I mean, that's that's one of those things that are that are really good. Um, you know, hopefully some guys make it back. Like Degrom. I don't know what happened to him with his oblique, but he's he's a guy that has been unbelievable this year so far and it'll be interesting to see how that ends but i mean overall the talent in baseball right now is it's great and it's 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 great to see them moving and playing a full season not just a half a season fiona great question as always uh and jesse it made me think and i think i know the answer to this but of all the pitchers that you've pitched with in the majors who was the best hitter that you played with (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay i was i was gonna say sean markham but oh no 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 no. you didn't think markham was a good hitter he could field <laughs> i mean i we both we, we both had the same like i was i was a two-way guy all through college so like we both kind of had the he might have more hits than me you know and i'm sure ricky romero says the same thing he was the best hitter and he had the worst swing ever um <laughs> uh best hitter oof I mean, obviously, back then, I mean, we had all kinds of home run derby. I mean, Markham was definitely a good hitter. Me and Markham were similar. Um, you know, Bumgarner, Grinky. They say Grinky was an unbelievable hitter all through high school, and he still hits. So, I mean, that's something that's pretty cool. I know the the Braves have a couple guys right now, like the Enoa kid, that's just going crazy with it. Bad. He hit a grand slam like 450 feet the other day, which is like what's I don't think I would have been able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Let's uh, move on now to uh, Sue. Ladies first. (laughs) Hi, Jesse. How are you doing? Thank you for doing it. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I was just wondering how you got on with um, coaching in China and also for the Philippines national team for the World Baseball Classic. What was that like coaching over there? That's a great question. Um, honestly, so like I, earlier, that thing up there is my when I played for the junior college team USA, and that's my China. That was in China, so it was like I had already been to China and I was retiring and wanted to coach, and I was like, all right, I also want to travel. I love traveling. And I was like, all right, let's see. So I looked online for jobs and all this stuff and just something that said China baseball. And I was like, huh, well, I've been to China. Let me see what it is. Turns out it was MLB. So you're, it, it was MLB helping develop baseball in China. So I was like, well, that sounds cool. And they had a basically an internship for a month, paid internship that you can go over there and help for a month. And if you like it, they might offer you a contract. So I was like, well, I'll go for a month to China, like go explore and see the world. Went over there and it was okay. I liked it. And I was like, you know what? They were trying to get me to do a two-year contract. I was like, no, I'm not going to do a two-year. I'll do a, I'll do a one-year contract. So I signed a one-year contract and probably, you know, the, the great experience. I went over there March and was able to, you know, see all of China, obviously, but like help develop baseball there with young kids and from basically 11 years old to 18 or 19-year-olds, we saw – 
the first Chinese kid signed professionally. I, I was able to coach him. Um, but just being able to, to see the world, like for me, I, it was, it was, we had our schedule was Wednesday afternoon cause they have to go to school too. So Wednesday afternoon to Sunday morning games. And that was kind of our baseball schedule. So that's when I worked. There was a flight out of Sunday out of our local airport to Hong Kong out of Sunday, like five. So I was able to make that all the time. And it, and the, the flight always came back Wednesday morning. So it was like perfect schedule for me. Um, so doing that, I was able to go around and make more friendships within baseball. And like, we set up a couple of things in Hong Kong and, and um, Thailand to do some like envoy assignments where you can coach kids for a couple of days and just, you know, help play with the kids realistically. And then we went to Taiwan for three months and was able to coach there for two months at their big, it's like, so they have like sports schools there, sports colleges. Like it's weird. It's, it's, it's a cool thing, but it's like specific sports colleges. And we were able to coach there for two months and play games and, and do all that stuff, but actually working with the college kids. So, and then we had our own Academy. Um, and from there I made a lot of connections in Taiwan because there's a lot of baseball that, from there that comes to the States and all that stuff. And, um, met a guy that knew a guy in the Philippines and it kind of worked itself out to where they offered me a, you know, I, I came home in December. I actually had emergency surgery there. I had my, um, gallbladder removed. So I came home and maybe January or February, I got a call saying, if you want to coach the Philippines uh, national team as a pitching coach, I was like, what does that entail? They were like, well, it's in, Australia so you'll get a free first class ticket flight to Australia they didn't talk anymore I said sold them in like, <laughs> I was like I get that I'm in I don't care because that's I mean that's a place I always wanted to go so and I put baseball involved with it I said just make my flight home a week after the thing is over so that way I can at least explore while I'm there so that's how that happened that's how it came about and it was a cool experience we weren't very good but you know they were a bunch of guys that loved the game and played hard and, and, you know, competed. How did you communicate with them? Did you learn how to speak the language? So Filipinos speak English a little bit, or actually Filipinos speak English. Like they're pretty good at it. Chinese. I had interpreters. I learned mm -hmm. some Chinese, like I did that. And um, I could speak some baseball terms. I could order food and I could say left and right to the cab driver, just getting to where I needed to go. But beyond that, like, that's a tough language. And they say that's an easy language. And I'm just like, oh, I could only, they say English is hard. And I'm like, oh, wow, I couldn't imagine. Because there's like four, there's all kinds of different dialects too. Like, you'll get cab drivers in China that are from like the mountains and they speak a whole different, like, kind of Mandarin. Like, it's just, they didn't understand anything we said. And I'm just like, I just say the same thing in a different tone, hopefully, hoping it worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's Thanks. awesome. Sue, that's a fantastic question. Thank you so much. Uh, John, we'll leave it with you, sir. What you got for Jesse? Thanks, Barry. Jesse, you've got such a great manner, a great voice, and a great presence. Uh, I know a few years ago, you were thinking about getting into broadcasting. And I believe you came up and you sat with the uh, broadcasters in Toronto for either a weekend or a week. 
what was that experience like? Uh, it was definitely, I mean, it's always been something that I feel and people have said that I'd probably be good at. It's just a matter of, it, it's, it's a lot tougher than it, it looks. And, you know, when you get there, it's, it's definitely a, it, it's a, you're staring at a screen and you're talking like to the world. So it's, it was a little intimidating. Realistically, it was at first, um, you know, and it had it been more than a weekend, I probably would have gotten a lot better at it. Um, I was really good. I feel like doing the, you know, post-game analysis or in-game analysis is something that I felt I would probably be really good at, but like doing the, you know, the, the weekend, like I was there for three days with Jamie Campbell filling in for, I believe Dirk Hayhurst, who, you know, who a friend of yours, huh? (laughs) So that's another story for another day. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's always, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, you, you need to be on top of a lot of, you know, statistics and, the whole thing when it comes to that, like I really got a newfound respect for a lot of those guys when I was, when I was doing that. And, you know, it's something that, you know, down the line could still be a possibility. It's just a matter of right now it's, it's kind of rolling with the punches and whatever comes, comes my way and, and moving forward. I love it. I think you'd be great at broadcasting. I think it'd be really good. Unfortunately, we just don't have a lot of them here anymore. Yeah. It's, it's it's kind of the, the world we live in right now, right? And, you know, the podcasts have become a lot of a, you know, have become huge. And it's something that, um, you know, I've come, gone back and forth of, like, should I do one? But, like, it, it's not for me, per se, to do it. And, like, you do yours, you're great at it. Other guys do theirs, they're great at it. And I feel like I would probably be good at it. But it's still one of those things where, is it where my time right now is best spent? Well, I'll, t- I'll put it this way, and Tom can attest to this. Every Saturday, I sit up till 4.30 in the morning editing this show. So, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's it's got to be done by somebody, right? Like, that's kind of where we're at. And the, the good ones are able to make it happen. Simple. You know, COVID has obviously thrown lots of wrenches into lots of different people's plans. But, um, you know, you spoke actually really well about that international experience. And and if, you know, fingers crossed, we ever find ourselves in a world where that sort of thing is possible again, would that be a potential opportunity that you'd look into as going somewhere to, to, to coach or to, to be part of an international team? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely it's it's something that has obviously been i've had offers i've had some potential to be able to do that it's just a matter of being the right situation at the right time and the times that i was offered it it kind of wasn't it wasn't the right time for me so you know right now like what i'm doing i i kind of enjoy so it would really have to be something that is a is a you know a no brainer for me. Um, if it entails me getting to travel a ton, like it'd probably be good. I'd probably say yes, because that's kind of my passion, but you know, being stuck in Taiwan for seven months and having the quarantine for 14 days when you get there and, you know, play like, those are the things that are like, okay, like, is it going to be fun? Probably, but might not be the right 
thing for me. Hey, Jesse, listen, it was a lot of fun. Great catching up with you. Stay well. Still look good in that Blue Jay Uni, I got to tell you. Awesome. Jesse, take care, and thanks to all of you for joining us here as well. There is former Toronto Blue Jay, Jesse Litch. A great conversation. We had a lot of fun. And again, folks, this is a rare opportunity for you to sit in on a Zoom with these former Toronto Blue Jays. And we saw the reaction from a few weeks ago when we had Marco Estrada in, and, and it was so much fun. A couple of things that we are working on in the future. Uh, I've reached out and I've heard back from Anthony Kay's brother, Bobby Kay. Got to get a hold of Ryan Barucki's brother, Matt. I want to get the two brothers on. I think that would be a really cool show. Hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll be joined by Jesse Barfield. Been working on that one for a while. Still hoping that one comes through. And uh, I think it would be really cool. We've done this on the audio version, but I think the video version would be really, really cool if uh, I reached out and got Mark Burley's dad back on the show. Because I think he would be a really cool guy to talk to. Since Mark won't talk, get Mark's dad on, right? I love it. I love it. Right. Now, for those that are watching, maybe for the first time, and, and think, Man, I, I'd love to get in on one of these Zooms. How do I do that? Tom, how do they do that? Patreon.com slash out of the park. Throw us three bucks a month and you can sit in on any of these talks. Hopefully we've got Barfield coming up. Uh, I think you said there was a possibility. We were talking the other week with someone who said they were going to try and get Griffey on for us. Remember that? Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, hey, you never know what can happen on out of the park. Well, this and is for true. three bucks a month, you'll always know. There you go. All right. Uh, we want to thank Jesse Litch for joining us. We want to thank our OTP insiders for being a part of our Zoom. Big thanks to Raj Sapaya. Uh, and Tom, I'll tell you what. I may look like an Oompa Loompa, but you know who you look like? Jesse Litch. Look at you. <laughs> You're Jesse. Uh, no, I don't have the right hair color. Uh, and I'm nowhere near as pretty a man as him. On that note, I shall say you're 100% correct. And folks, thank you so much for listening and watching and making us a part of your week. Bingo. Okay.